Shall we bow in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word because your word is truth. And Lord, you are the great teacher. And Lord, we are but learners of you. And Lord, we thank you for your word which is so clear. And Lord, I pray this evening that you will speak to us. Lord, that you will take us on a journey with you. And Lord, that we might know you more, love you more, serve you more. Lord, I thank you for using a weak vessel like me. Lord, you know my inabilities, but you are a powerful God, and I trust in you. Lord, I thank you then for your uh, blessing and company throughout this sermon, Lord, that you will indeed use it for your glory and for your praise. Amen. Psalm 122, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Wonderful words of the psalm writer David as they ascend up to Jerusalem at the time of their feast. And this message that I have to you, for you tonight is there's enough to make us think. And in here, we have two verses where the Lord Jesus speaks for the very first time and utters some short sentences that are profound to their very depth as we come to understand them. It's an amazing thing that God, who is highly exalted, the one who created everything, the God who made all that we can see and all the things that are unseen becomes the Son of Man, that he takes on flesh. And John's Gospel tells us that the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And that Word is, as you all know, but dwelt his tabernacle. He lived as a person would pitch a tent. He lived amongst his people. And that's very significant, isn't it? That he dwells with his people. That is uh, the thrust of the Bible. God wants to be with his people. He wants to be in the midst of them. He wants to teach them and to lead them. And John brings home this truth that they beheld the glory of the only begotten Son of God, the one who is the Word made flesh and dwelt amongst them. And this child would grow. But from the age of two, after the wise men have, have gone to visit him, there isn't anything but these verses in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, that gives us any inclination of what happened between the age of 12 and the age of 30. There's a long gap. And we can search the other Gospel writers and we won't find anything of his growing up. And yet Luke supplies us with this period in the Lord Jesus' life. And it must be, it must be important, mustn't it? So Luke has begun to tell Theophilus all that Jesus has both begun to do and to teach. He tells us about how uh, the virgin gives birth to the Holy One the Son of God. 
how the shepherds have come to worship, how Ananias, um, I'm sorry, Anna and Simeon have seen the consolation of Israel and are excited. And that's where we come up to when we enter into Luke chapter 2 and verse 31, uh, 41. We see then that there were feasts going on at this period of time. His mother and his father are entering one of the feast days. And there was many feasts that they enjoyed, the Jewish people enjoyed. They enjoyed Passover. They enjoyed the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They enjoyed the Feast of Pentecost. They enjoyed the Feast of Tabernacles. And they remembered when they were delivered from Egypt, when they, uh, when they purged out the sin, the unleavened, uh, which is a type of sin, isn't it? And, and that is purged out. They remember the first fruits when they entered the land and God blessed them. And we think about the first fruits in resurrection, that we who are alive in Christ uh, are the first fruits, aren't we? we? We've been made alive in him. And these feasts were very important to the Jews because it showed them their history. It reminded them of their past and what God had done. And it also reminded them of their future, how God would also visit them again and do great things for them. And we remember at Pentecost when the Spirit came down one of those feasts was, was kept. The Spirit was poured out upon God's church, and it was a great time of blessing. But we look for that day when God will once again, in the latter feast, tabernacle once again with his people, and we shall be in heaven and be enjoying his presence forever. And the Jews looked forward to what, uh, looked back on what had happened, and they also looked forward to what God was going to do. And for people who were under Roman occupation and suffering uh, limited freedom in what they could do, when they celebrate their feast, they could celebrate everything that was, they were proud of, everything that meant so much to them, that, that they've been taught from a, a young boy all their lives. And, and it, it was a, a wonderful time. Let's go up to the feasts. Let's go and celebrate the feast unto the Lord. And so people would gather, and they would go up together towards Jerusalem. Now, this would be thousands upon thousands of people gathering at Jerusalem to the feast. They would enter its gates. They would see the temple from afar. We see the Wailing Wall now and how massive it is, but the temple towered above, and you could see this great temple in the distance. Every road that led up to Jerusalem, you were going up, you were ascending. It was, I think it was about two and a half thousand feet above sea level. And so the journey was one of going up. And so they ascended, they sang these songs as they ascended up together, rejoicing. And they were glad when they put their, their feet in, into the gates. And when they stood in the city, you can imagine the city being full 
of people, the hustle and bustle of life, uh, animal sacrifices that were, were being sold, people in the streets buying the food for the day, enjoying the many days of the feast, and they go on for seven days. The women, they didn't have to go, but Mary went. And she went up to the feast with Jesus and Joseph to keep the feast. The temple meant so much. The temple meant access to God, the presence of God amongst his people. It, it, it meant that their, their, their sins could be washed away. There could be atonement. There could be a washing away of their sins. There could be one to stand in the holy place for the people. It was a momentous occasion. And so any young child knowing all about the feast and learning the history of, of what it meant to be a Jew, would just be so thrilled to go up to Jerusalem. At 12 years of age, it, it was known that, well, at 13, it, the, the day of their 13th birthday would be their bar mitzvah, if I've said that right. Um, I hope I have. And they would become a son of the commandment or the son of the law, whereby the father would not, then be so responsible for the actions of the son. The son would take on their responsibility. But up to that age, uh, 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 one or two years before, I think Eldershine mentioned, that the child sort of assumes responsibility. They, 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 he's, he's coming to that point where he will be responsible for his actions. So well before... His 13th birthday, because we're told here that Jesus was 12, he would already be knowledgeable. He'd already want to ask many questions, and he would also want to learn the meaning and the answers. And of course, the, the temple, it, it meant so much, didn't it? The curtain, it meant so much when we see that curtain was, was, was torn from top to bottom signifying that the way into the holies of holies was now made available once and for all when Jesus was crucified. And we enter through the veil, which is his flesh. We see the mercy seat that was sprinkled with blood, and we know it was his blood that was shed for us. We see the lamb that's offered out, out, out there in the, in the temple courts. And we see, see the blood that is, is taken in and put on the mercy seat, put, poured out at the altars. And we realize that that's the Savior, isn't it? That's the Lord. But you see, I believe that Jesus was already aware of what these feasts were. He was already aware of what the temple meant. He'd been learning about them, he'd been growing up, and he was so taken up with what all these things mean. Deeper than I can talk to you tonight. You, I wrote loads of things out. I can't even follow them. I'm just going to speak to you. But he, he knew everything about them. He knew the depth. He knew he was a lamb. He knew his blood would be shed. And so for him to go up to the temple, it was like almost like going home. It was... It was seeing something of the pattern of the heavenly on earth. Moses was told to, 
to, to make the sanctuary, the tabernacle, the tent, in, in the pattern which he was shown, and not to do it anything different. And later on, Herod, um, Herod built his temple, and it was uh, Solomon's temple, and then Herod's temple was built, and it was in the pattern that God had ordained. And so the Lord Jesus Christ knew this pattern. He could see in it all of its meaning. Now there was many 12-year-olds going up to the feast. I suppose some of them loved the excitement of it all. Didn't really take it in, learnt it off by heart, but maybe it didn't really go in. But they went up with their parents and they would probably run around from friends to friends because there was crowds of them going up. And some of them would be singing the songs with their mum and their dad, but others probably not so interested. But Jesus, I believe, was intently interested in all that was going on. In fact, when we go back into the Old Testament and we see Hopni and Phinehas, Eli's sons, around the tent, playing around the tent and, uh, and playing around the altar and, and dipping into the offerings and, 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 and making a, a mess of holy things and dealing with them uh, so wickedly. We know that children don't always grasp things, but the parents were there. They, they should have, Eli should have done more to rebuke his children. But Jesus wasn't like that. In fact, he says, I do all those things that always please my Father. He was indeed the perfect, spotless Son of God who knew the significance of the feast, who knew what the temple meant, who when he walked this journey was glad to be in Jerusalem, glad to enter those gates from the north, from the south, from the east and west, and all the gates were open and people were flocking him and he was glad to be there. And he made his way amongst the doctors and the lawyers and, uh, and theologians of that day. He made his way to the place of learning and he wanted to ask questions. He wanted to ask questions. And so... We see they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And we see, and all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers in verse 47. There he is. Wouldn't you like to have been there? Wouldn't you like to have been there when this 12-year-old he, he wasn't just a talented lad who, who was great at remembering things. He had an understanding that astonished those around him because everything that he spoke was personal to him. And it makes a big difference when someone speaks about something which is personal to them. And so they were amazed. They were in, engrossed in this young lad. And he was there. He was there for the feast days and their parents, well, they decided that they would, when the days were fulfilled in verse 43, they returned. And the child Jesus carried behind in Jerusalem. And we see that Joseph and his mother Mary knew it not. Here we have the situation then. They've left Jesus behind. 
You know, as good parents, we're to look after our children and to keep our eye on them, aren't we? And we should know where they are, but they didn't. In fact, they had been forgetful and neglectful, and they would make the journey without him. And Jesus had done nothing wrong. He was about his father's business, and they hadn't even took the time to seek him out. They assumed that he was with them. And there's a few mistakes here, isn't there? They left without him. And there's a lot of people in this world who, well, Jesus is completely out of their lives. They've got no time for him. He doesn't accompany them on any of their journeys like Mary and Joseph. Or they knew what it was to have him with them day and to watch him growing. But there's many in this world who are yet to take a step with the Savior. There are many to understand the deepness of the one whom is the God-man, the Son of God, the one who loved us and gave himself for us. And so, because they see no beauty in him that they should desire him, they count him as naught. They leave him out and they leave him behind. But Mary and Joseph, they loved their son. In fact, any parent who have lost their child just for a moment panics. But their assuming didn't cause them to panic quick enough. They assumed that he was amongst their king's folk, their acquaintances. And that brings us to another point. It's wrong for us to assume that we are walking with Jesus. We must make sure we are walking with him. We walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we walk with him, he speaks to us. There are many uh, Christians who have walked many a step without him, who have suffered from their own sin and from their own choices. And because they have just failed, failed to talk to Jesus. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. The thing is, we've left him behind. We've gone into a situation and he isn't there. But his parents, Mary and Joseph, they were, they were frantic. They were, they, were, they were thinking, well, he's not here. We've checked and they're calling out his name and they can't find him. But they've gone a day's journey. They've traveled quite a way. And so we see that they suppose him to have been in the crowd, and they were wrong. Let's not be wrong about this. Let's not be wrong about where the Lord Jesus is in our life. So they found him not. I think that's a good place to start, verse 45, because it's when we realize that he's not with us, then we can seek him. Remember the words in the Bible, seek and you shall find. Seek the Lord while he may be found. There is a command there for people to search if happily they should find him. But they will find him if they seek. If you don't seek, it's for certain you won't. If they would have carried on on the journey back to Nazareth, then 
he would have been left behind. But they did something. It says they turned back again to Jerusalem. That means they were going in one direction, and you know where I'm going with this. They were going in one direction, and they turned back. 180 degrees, repent, turn around. And so they decided that the decision they made was wrong, and they went back. It's sometimes good to admit that we're wrong. I don't think they actually did at that point, when you read the story, but they did turn back, and... Whatever we understand, that was a wise choice. And so they went back to the place, or the places where they had been. They went back to Jerusalem. And it was after three days in verse 46, they found him in the temple. Well, where else will you find the Lord? But in the temple. That's where his father dwells. That's where the son is most happy with his father. In his father's house, as he wants us all to be, there are many mansions. And he's sitting there. And he's hearing them. It's good to be a good hearer. My wife keeps telling me this. You've got to listen more. And she is right. But he's hearing them. Our Lord is listening to them. That's staggering, isn't it? He could say, sit there and I'll tell you a few things. But he doesn't. He listens. And he listens intently to what they say. And then when he's listened, and it's, I suppose it's a good lesson, he starts asking them questions about what they've said. And then they're astonished at his understanding and his answers in verse 47. Never man spake like this man. Even as a child, we get a glimpse of what he is like. It's like you see the gold miners find a speck of gold and they want to dig up everywhere. You know, that's how I feel when I find this, this speck of treasure in Luke chapter 2. When we find the Lord there as a child who is astonishing the doctors who is full of understanding, whose questions are profound. And we see in verse 48, they saw him. They were amazed. The first reaction of Mary and Joseph wasn't to tell him off and tell him their complaint and all that had gone on with them. The first thing was, is where they found him and... The situation around him. It was just mind-boggling to them. I mean, they had a right to be afraid and worried for his safety. I mean, they were told by uh, the angel of the Lord to flee into Egypt when, when he, he was but a, but a babe. But the angel also protected him. And they shouldn't have worried. He was in the father's house. The father had got his eye on his son. His father was communing with him and with those around. It was a great feast for Jesus. It was a great place to be. He was so enjoying his time with his people, with his father. Pondering 
on all these wonderful things. And so we see, they said to him, Why have you dealt with us like this? Why have you dealt with us? He had lost them. They lost him. And he doesn't argue with them. He says, behold, look. Oh, sorry, they said, behold, thy father and mother have sought you sorrowing. And Jesus says, how is it that you sought me? Did you not know I must be about my father's business? Here he was saying to them, God is my father. He's making his claim as God's son. As something which the Jews would take up stones to stone him. He makes himself equal with God. Mary and Joseph, do you realize who I am? You've given birth to me, but it was miraculous. You've heard the, the announcement over me. And you would be a savior who would save the people from their sins. And you sought me, wouldn't you expect to find me in the temple? Wouldn't you expect me to be about my father's work? But when he said my father, he uses words which are not Joseph's my father, but God is my father. I think it's very, very important that we understand who Jesus is. He says, I am my father of one. If you had seen me, you had seen the father. He says, he that hateth me, hateth my father also. When the disciples are taught to pray, they, they're taught to pray our father. When we come to Jesus, well, he brings us to the father because it's his father. We cry, Abba, Father, and we pray our father, but we don't, we pray him as adopted sons. But this is the only begotten son of God. And when he talks about my father, and you mark your Bibles, and you see the way Jesus talks about him, God is his father. And God says, I only have one begotten son. And remember when he came up out of the water, he, God spoke. He spoke over his son. So they sought him, and they sought him sorrowing, and they made their feelings known. But he says, didn't you know I must be about my father's business? There was a neglectfulness, a forgetfulness, there was an ignorance, and yet he didn't argue with them. They understood, you see, in verse 50, they understood not the saying which he spoke unto them. It went right over their heads. It says that they understood not. Jesus spoke, he gave them the answer, and they couldn't comprehend it. But we see that he went down with them. The one who went up, went down. The one who came from heaven came down that we might go up. 
But this child had gone up to Jerusalem and he was full of the Lord. But he knew that his time to be manifest to Israel was not yet. In fact, it would be later on when at the age of 30 he would say, now is my time to be made manifest to Israel. And so here was a child who knew who he was. Oh, we wish that children knew who they were quicker, but to be honest, do we know who we are? We sort of try to define ourselves by what we know or the job we do or uh, the skills we have. That's nonsense. Who are we? The Bible says we are loved of God. We are created in his image. He gave his life for us so that we can become his sons. That's who we are. What a wonderful thing it is to be called the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But when we see him, we shall be like him. And so we see the great submission of Jesus. He went down with them. Simple. I'm not going to argue with you. I can see your pain. I'll give you the answer you don't understand. But I'm coming down with you. I'm going back to Nazareth. I'm going to listen to what you say. See, as the son of God, he was under God's command. But as the son of man, who was under the law, made under the law for us, he obeyed his parents. But he knew who he was. He knew what he was born for. And he was full of wisdom, full of grace and truth, even as a 12-year-old. His mother, well, we read those words again, but his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. She pulled the pieces again. She put them together. She stored them up till the rest of the picture would become clearer. And you know, we're, we're not going to the wailing wall to put our prayers in the little cracks in the wall and wail about our lost temple and the mosque that's built there and everything. And we're not going, we don't have to go there. We know that that temple spoke of the way into God. It had one door. And Jesus is the one way into the presence of God. It had one means of access with God. God would come down and take an offering and he would take the blood. And Jesus entered once and once only and gave his blood. And he tore that veil so that we have an access to God. He is the one mediator between God and man. The one who knew what all the types were about. He fulfilled those types. And in his body he bore our sins on the tree. We don't wail up the wall because he is building a bigger temple. Ephesians calls it a habitation of God through the Spirit, a temple made without hands, a temple where God the Spirit dwells. And he dwells every brick and every joint and every part of it. And he's building that for his glory. But you see, it was a shadow of heavenly things. The Jews have put so much in religion, so much in externals and services. And you know you can come to church and you can make a religion of Jesus, you can make a religion of, of, of church and, and all that it means, and you can miss the one whom it's all about, the one who died for you, 
the one who took upon flesh and dwelt amongst us, tabernacle, tent, temple, amongst us, so that we, the sons of men, might become the sons of God. What an amazing episode that Luke recalls. How profound it is, the child Jesus, full of grace and truth, wisdom and knowledge, submitting himself and one day submitting himself to the cross for you and for me. There is none like him. There is not a child that has ever lived to be like him. I don't know how his family uh, went on. It must have been very interesting to live with someone perfect. But he was. And like Josh said this morning, his robe was always clean. You couldn't put anything on it. There was no child that could say, oh, I went to school with him. You know what he said. There was no one in the crowd that could do it. But he was perfect. He is the Son of God. And so I was glad when they said, well, let us go to the house of the Lord. And I pray that you've been glad tonight, glad with who, the, who the, the Lord Jesus is. Luke is an opening to us, revealing to us something of the child who was born in a manger, who is the Son of God, who loved him, who loved us and gave himself for us. Amen. We sing our, our last song.
Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for that amazing truth. Help us to understand it, Lord. Help us to take it in, what it meant for thee, the Holy One, to bear away my sin. Lord, we thank you this evening, Lord, that your word reveals you. And Lord, your spirit reveals your Son also to us. We thank you for the Spirit's work. And we pray that our understanding, our appreciation of you will be deeper. And Lord, that we will love you more. You are a great God, and I pray that if there's anyone listening, that they will see the one who is greater than the temple, the one who brings us back to God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Part us with your blessing now in his name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.